It is definitely a balance and something that was, I think, even harder once we transitioned into this full time, because then the time clock never stops. You can work 24-7. You're never clocking out of work. And so that was a big transition and a little bit more difficult to actually turn off the switch. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lodes, and today our guest is Savannah Arroyo, the net worth nurse. I love it. Love her branding. Today, we're going through her journey of how she and her husband escaped their full-time employment through real estate investing after the birth of their second child. We're going through that whole journey, the first deal that they did, how it went, and why they pivoted after that first deal what they pivoted into, and the dynamic of being a husband and wife couple who are just killing it in real estate. How does that work? How do they make that work in their business? So much great knowledge in this interview with Savannah. You're going to learn so much, especially if you're a nurse out there, you want to get out of the nursing world, or you're just a busy professional who wants to get out of your day job through real estate investing. Well, she shares a ton of knowledge as to how they achieve it, how they set goals. That's a big part of her strategy and so much more. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Savannah Arroyo. Let's go. Savannah Arroyo, the net worth nurse. Love that branding. It's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, can you tell us about what you do in real estate? And then I'd love to rewind the clock a bit, but tell us what you're doing right now. Right now, I am out buying and raising capital for real estate investments through real estate syndications. Nice, nice. And what's your current like portfolio look like? So right now, we own four apartment complexes up in Oregon, totaling 90 units, and we've raised $3.5 million for those. And then we have a storage facility down in Arizona that we came in as general partners on as well. Awesome. Love self-storage as well. So I'm glad you've got that in there. So love to rewind the clock and talk about how you got started as a real estate investor and that 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 spark that inspired you to get started. So let's wind it back. Tell us about getting started in real estate. Yeah, I'm going to kind of take it even a step further back of why I got kind of started in nursing. I, I went really right out of high school, going into the nursing profession, loved it, went back to school, got my master's degree because I loved process improvement. I got in leadership and administration because I love process improvement, operations, administration stuff. So I had my eyes set on becoming a CNO or chief, chief nursing officer of a large healthcare organization. And I had spent quite a few years growing and climbing that corporate ladder. And then beginning of 2020, I had my second daughter and just awesome. kind of Put things into perspective. My husband and I coming together, I had to go back to work when both my daughters were three months old because we were dependent on our paychecks. And so just kind of looking at our lifestyle and seeing how dependent we were on our jobs, working very demanding jobs, Monday through Friday, nine to five, like it didn't allow as much time as we wanted to be super present in our daughter's lives as they were growing up. And so started looking for alternative ways to build wealth and invest. 
at that at this time or at that time we were investing primarily well solely in our 401k's and 403b's we were putting away 15 to 20% of our paycheck putting that away we were congratulated that was a good amount to be putting towards that we were going to be set upon retirement but it felt a little bit discouraging and defeating that we couldn't touch that money until we were 59 and a half and so we started educating ourselves and learning about alternative ways to build wealth and stumbled upon real estate for obvious reasons it's one of the best ways out there to grow wealth and started educating ourselves did courses and have since scaled our portfolio that have has allowed my husband and I to both leave our full-time W-2 jobs. That's awesome. Big, big, big time achievement. So you had to go back to work after having your second daughter, three months after having your second daughter. At what point were you you out on maternity leave when you were like, okay, I'm going to start working on this? Was it after you went back when you said, okay, I need to find another way? Do you remember the day that that kind of realization hit you? A lot of investors do. Yeah, it was really as I was getting ready to go back and starting to talk to my manager about what that would look like. And then I just my I started Googling, you know, alternative ways to build wealth, alternative investments, passive income, and then started learning about real estate. I didn't know anything about real estate at the time, besides the fact that I had owned my primary residence in Los Angeles. But other than that, didn't know a lot about it. And so I started educating myself. Awesome. So I wonder, so if you go to, if one goes to Google, not just you, if, if one goes to Google and searches alternative investments or, or passive income, you're going to get some good stuff. You're also going to get a lot of scams, a lot of bad advice, a lot of things just leading you down the wrong path. What about you or your experience, your your wisdom? I don't know. What what pushed you toward real estate rather than, it's back in 2020, rather than like a, a crypto Ponzi scheme right. or something like that? Yeah, it was really watching Brandon Turner on Bigger Pockets mm. going through like cash flow and what that looked like and really doing the math of showing like this is what it's like to buy a real estate property and how much money you need and then what you can earn in rental income and after paying your expenses, what cash flow looks like, money, extra money coming into your bank account every month. And that was a foreign concept to myself, you know, me thinking the only way to generate income was working extra hours at the hospital. And so realizing that we could do it that way and then also build appreciation, become involved in huge tax incentives. Like the more I started learning about it and watching additional videos, it really, the numbers spoke for themselves. Nice, nice. Well, I'm glad you stumbled upon Bigger Pockets, Brandon Turner, and, and that information. Because again, there's a, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. So you, you went for the, the right thing. So I think a lot of folks, they, they want to get into real estate, but that, that first deal oftentimes eludes them. What were the steps that you took to get that first deal? Then can you tell, can you tell us about the first deal that you, you did? So much education. So even understanding the language, because it is a completely different language if you don't know the terms. And so educating ourselves on that and through primarily YouTube and podcasts. Podcasts were a great way for me to learn the language from other investors in real scenarios by listening to other people's stories. And not only was it extremely educational but it was motivating because then you're hearing these stories from people from all walks of life who are building huge wealth and real estate investing. And it, it makes you feel like, oh, well, if this person's out there doing that, then I can definitely do it. And so getting the motivation and education through 
podcasts and YouTube videos were the huge first step. Then creating goals. So I've always been a goal setter since I've graduated college. That's been big for me, even in my professional career as a nurse and even with family goals and that type of stuff. So that's always been big for me. And so when we got into real estate investing, it was like, all right, let's set some goals. So my husband and I getting together and setting three-year goals of like what we want our lives to look like in three years, like how many hours are we working on the business? Who are we working with? What type of partnerships do we have? Like what states are we involved in and how much money we plan to be bringing in every month? And for us, it was a three-year goal to be bringing in $10,000 a month in real estate investing. And once we got super clear on our goal, then we could kind of backtrack and say, okay, if we need $10,000 by year three, how much do we need to be making at year two and year one? And what do we need to be doing on a quarterly basis? How many deals do we need to be underwriting? How many lenders do we need to be talking to? How many markets do we need to be evaluating? How much capital do we need to raise? How many investor conversations do we need to have? And so by getting really clear on the end destination, we could kind of backtrack and get a little bit more insight into what we needed to do to get there, especially because we've never done it before. It was kind of a great way to see what steps we needed to take And then after that, it was taking action. Well, I love that. And starting with the goal and working backwards and and chunking it down, taking action. All very important. I think a lot of people don't think about it that way and either spin their wheels or just don't achieve uh, what they achieve. So how did you set those initial goals and take those actions? And and tell us about that that first deal, because I feel like the first one is so critical getting that under your belt. It just shows you what's possible, gives you a track record and everything like that. So Sticking to that first deal and the actions that you took to specifically achieve that one deal. Yeah. So then going out and after we got really specific on where we wanted to end up going forward and doing that first deal for us, we didn't have any capital to start investing. And so there we were digesting all this information, learning, and we're like, great, where are we going to get the money to start? We don't have any money. We were like in our, you know, 20s trying to have just had two kids living in LA. We had a mortgage. It was just trying to kind of figure out where we could get the funds to start investing. And so for us, it was doing the Burr method, which is where you buy a place, rehab, rent it out, refinance and repeat. So that way it's it's a, a method in real estate investing where you can make a fixed amount of capital really kind of work for you by the more work you're willing to put into it by value add deals. And so for us, we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, where, where are we going to find the money to start? And so it was talking to some lenders, a really good lender who loved educating new investors. And he got on the phone and after kind of asking his interview questions and learning about my primary home that we had purchased, he asked how much equity we had in it. And I didn't even know what equity was at the time, didn't even really know the term appreciation like that you could tap into it. And so learned all about that. And so we had $100,000 worth of equity in our home that we ended up pulling out with a second mortgage and use that capital to buy income producing cash flow producing assets over in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Okay. So Atlanta, and this was back in 2020 timeframe when pretty much every real estate market in the country was going completely insane. And you're in, you were investing from the other side of the country. How did you build a level of comfort with the particular part of Atlanta that you were looking at? I mean, how in the world did you pick Atlanta and know that you were doing the right deal? You know, there's, there's quite a lot of work to do before you just, you know, buy a property that you're going to burrow on the other side of the country, right? Yeah. So a lot of risk in real estate investing can be mitigated through education, 
studying the markets, looking at trends, looking at market analysis, seeing population growth, looking at appreciation, talking to property managers to see what going rents are, doing your underwriting in a way that's conservative where you're putting in reserves, you know, worst case scenario, things that would happen that you're cushioning your budget. So there's a lot of miss, risk that you can mitigate by just doing good underwriting. And so for us, that was what we were going to do. And so educating ourselves by studying the different markets. And to so moving forward into that first deal, we didn't end up doing a burr because for us, we were thinking about overseeing a complete renovation across the country. We were in Los Angeles, California at the time. And for us, that was completely out of our comfort zone. <laughs> While we were, burned, were both working full-time jobs, just, you know, had two kids under two. It just really was out of our comfort zone. And so what we ended up doing was we were learning about build to rent projects. And so they're really built by uh, a builder and then they put their property management uh, company in place and in a sense sell you these like cash flowing investments. And so we were able to use $80,000, $40,000 each to buy as a down payment on two townhomes in Atlanta. They were each 177000 four bedroom, two and a half bath. And we got renters in there and we were cash flowing a couple hundred bucks a month on each of them. But then six months into one of them, we had a tenant turn. And although they were brand new, new builds, we had to replace the paint, which was thousands of dollars. And so not only did it deplete all of our cash flow, but we ended up having to pay extra on it. And then after that, that's when we moved into multifamily syndications because then started learning more, even more risk that you can mitigate by buying in bulk in a set. Yeah, Absolutely. Those couple, the, the, the turns, the repairs could really wipe out your cash flows on a single family. And a lot of particularly new investors see that they're netting positive for months and months and months. They think, great, I'm making money hand over fist. And then that turn comes and it just wipes out everything. So scaling up into multifamily, what did that first deal look like for you? Yeah, so switching over into multifamily was was a big jump, but by that point we had kind of started telling people what we were doing or they knew and so started getting some interest from friends and family like, "Hey, you guys are investing in real estate, maybe we can join forces." And we didn't even know that at the time, but that is what real estate syndications are, is people pulling together their resources passive investors putting up front capital and general partners willing to go out there and buy the asset and operate it over the lifetime, the investment coming together in the perfect symbiotic relationship. And so we started learning more about this uh, specialty. And so educated ourselves, we ended up investing in a formal coaching program. So we put $30,000 on a credit card to invest in one of these. And for us, just to give some some alternative, my master's degree was $18,000. So this was a big jump for us and a big deal and something that we had to but for us, we were all in on it. So we knew at that point, you know, if I was willing to put 18000 in my master's degree towards nursing, where we were going to be working hard, working all this extra work to build someone else's business, for us, it was like, let's put all this extra time and effort into investing in ourselves and building our own business, our own real estate business. And so that's kind of how we made the decision to jump forward there. but And then also taking into consideration that we were going to be raising money from friends and family, nurses that I worked with. We wanted to make sure that we were doing everything in the right way possible. There's a lot of legal terms when you're raising capital and doing these large-scale deals. And so we just wanted that extra set of eyes overlooking all of our underwriting and as we were going through that process. And so investing in a formal coaching program was big for us when we got started. 
And then it was more education about how to talk to brokers, commercial brokers, when you don't have any experience talking to commercial lenders and the difference between that and what we've been doing with the single family homes and residential loans, the legalities and learning all about PPMs and operating agreements, how to talk to investors. And so learning all of that, my husband and I went through that first deal together. It was a 12 unit up in Oregon for a million dollar price point. We raised, we needed to raise $350,000. We were only able to raise 250000 So then at that point, we rolled in our acquisition fee into the deal. And so we were able to get it to the finish line. And then also I pulled from my retirement account under the CARES Act in 2020, penalty free. And so used some of those funds to invest in the deal as well and ended up getting it closed. And it's since been two and a half years and it's performing great. <laughs> awesome. So why in the world did you pick Oregon? Very curious about that. Yeah. So we were, when we first started in the coaching program, we were just underwriting and getting practice, evaluating different markets and doing the numbers. And so we were looking at markets all over the country. We were looking in Atlanta, Georgia. We would even underwrite in Los Angeles, up from Sacramento, where I was from. My parents happen to live in Oregon. And so we were just looking at the markets up there, curious um, on LoopNet, uh, where deals go to die, and um, ended up finding one. And the numbers were looking good. And we're like, wow, this looks like it could be a good deal. And taking it back to our coach and kind of running through the numbers, it was like, yeah, this is a good deal. We're going to put out an offer. We had up until that point put up multiple offers that had fallen through on different markets, but this one ended up sticking. And a big piece of that was talking to brokers with no experience is very difficult. And even though we had experience with our single family homes, which we definitely upselled in every conversation that we had with brokers, they still syndications and multifamily commercial real estate's and a whole nother beast. And so brokers already have tons of relationships with well-known vetted out investors that they've worked with and they know they can get the deal to the finish line. And so they're funneling those good deals to those investors and not necessarily newbies. And so having those conversations with brokers can be very difficult for them to actually be sending you good deals. And so when we found this one on LoopNet, it was hopping on the phone with the broker, telling him about our single family homes over in Atlanta, Georgia, and then just saying, hey, we're looking for multifamily in the space. And we were very clear and specific on what we were looking for. So we're looking for a 12 to 20 unit, uh, around a $1 million price point value add in these tertiary markets. And the deal that we found on LoopNet was in that, obviously, but we were saying, hey, we like this deal, but this is also what we're looking at. And because he was newer as well, he was a young guy in his 20s. He was a newer broker. He didn't think, I don't think, to ask us our experience. He was one of the first brokers who didn't ask me if I had commercial experience. And so it was moving through that first deal with him and being super professional, very on time, organized, clear with communications and got that deal to close. And when we told him, hey, let's do another one, you know, that was our, our first one. He was shocked that that was our first deal. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So you had made a bunch of offers that didn't go through up to that point. And, you know, it, it sounds like it, if I'm reading between between the lines a bit that the husband and wife business partner dynamic was an incredible asset going through the, the this whole process of picking markets and making offers, looking at deals, all those other things. Well, when you're a solopreneur doing it alone, it kind of sucks to do all that and <laughs> you get rejections. It really stinks. But uh, do you agree? Was that a big asset for you? Were there any particular times or experiences where 
having a, a, a business partner slash spouse along along the way with you that helped you both go, you know, further together and, you know, one plus one equals three type of situation. Oh, yes. I mean, it was it was the foundation. So instrumental to everything. And I'm definitely one of those people who just loves working with people that I love. I mean, my I've built business with my sister. One of my other business partners that I'm building a startup with is one of my really good friends. So I just love working with people in that capacity in my inner circle. And so even my husband and I, I mean, with raising toddlers together, if you can do that together, <laughs> you can run a business together. But it's definitely been a learning curve over the last couple of years, just all the transitions we've made, starting the business together, both of us transitioning out of our full-time jobs, now relocating up to Northern California. There's definitely been some tough conversations that we've had and learning lessons. But uh, for us, it always comes down to our end goals and what our biggest focus is, which is for us, it's our family. And it's crazy now, you know, even being three years into it, it's stressful owning your own business. But we always remind each other, even when we get into those stressful situations, we're like, man, we're living our dream. You know, this dream, these goals that we set three years ago, like we're doing it, we're accomplishing them, like we're living the life that we want to. And so it's always kind of coming back to that why together, which is big for us. Awesome. So with the benefit of hindsight, would you say that there's anything that you did suboptimally? I mean, it's, it's working out great. So it's not, you know, I'm not trying to nitpick or anything, but you know, you know, your own story, you know, your own experience and you're much more experienced now than you were before. I would say other than the build to rent scenario, maybe you would say that that was a misstep, but it got you started. So we'll take that one off the yeah. table, but anything else that sticks out that you would do differently? There's always the shiny object syndrome in real estate investing. I mean, especially when you get in the space and start learning about all the different ways to make money, you're like, oh, what? So-and-so is doing this. Like, that seems so cool. So short-term rentals would be the only thing that I wish I would have jumped in on on the last couple of years. That was a very lucrative time for that strategy over the last um, couple of years. And I think we could have taken some of our funds and invested in that to generate bigger cash flow in our life now. But I think it always ends up working out exactly how it needs to, because for us, it pushed us to build a syndication business, which in a sense is like so much more powerful. Now we can take that and apply it to short-term rentals if we want. And we ended up kind of jumping in that bandwagon a couple of months ago when we turned our primary residence down in Los Angeles into a midterm rental and we're renting it out to travel nurses. So yeah, I guess that would be the only thing I'd say. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean- a shiny object syndrome, though, it's good, you know, in a certain sense, it's good you didn't go down that road because of distractions Distractions can be a big problem. Before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, very curious about, it's a big topic, so, you know, we might not get all the way into it, but we touched on the partnership aspect, but, you know, you were both uh, very busy professionals with a family, building a business. It's hard. These things take a lot of our most scarce asset, which is time. How did you especially early on when you didn't have this traction, you weren't really sure if it was going to work out. You had a belief, but not a track record. How did you coordinate or, or work the, the time aspect, making sure you were putting in the effort, putting in the time to the business, but not neglecting you know, family business, all that kind of thing, excuse me, family work, all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely a balance and it can be difficult for sure, especially when we're starting out and working two full-time jobs. So for us, it was 
waking up before work, like I'd be recording podcasts, sending out, checking emails, sending out any messages that I need to, then going into work. I'd be hopping out of my lunch, doing investor calls. I'd be taking breaks and um, hopping on phones with investors or other like legal teams, brokers, handling those on my breaks. And then after work, it was definitely family time coming home and doing uh, dinner time, bath time, bedtime with my daughters and making it a point to be off of our phone and talking about business, but not being behind screens doing it, because I think that's when you get sucked into the t- the warp. So talking about it over dinner and stuff while we're preparing things, but not being, like I said, on a computer and then designating that time. And then after our girls went to bed, like from eight till sometimes 10 p.m., midnight, depending on what we had going on working on this. And sometimes chunking time. There was times like Saturday morning, I'd wake up at six, go to Whole Foods, get a coffee and sit on a computer away from my my kids <laughs> and the, the noise for three hours and getting some designated work time done. But it is definitely a balance and something that was, I think, even harder once we transitioned into this full time, because then there the time clock never stops. You can work 24 seven. You're, you're never clocking out of work. And so that was a big transition and a little bit more difficult to actually turn off the switch. But something I do through self-care, so meditation, yoga, yoga practice is very near and dear to me, taking care of myself by just eating right and that type of stuff. Yeah. Not letting the, the business take over your life and bearing in mind the things that are most important, sounds like. So exactly. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Savannah, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say the first one, buying our first primary residence. It was pushing through and budgeting and saving to get to that point. And then little did we know that we would then tap into equity from that primary residence to fuel our real estate investing career. Awesome. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I would say the new build townhomes that we built, bought across the country, sight unseen. And just because they were only cash flowing a couple hundred bucks a month, which, yeah, really depleted reserves for a turnover. Yeah. So it sounds like you don't have those anymore. What was the disposition there? Yeah, we ended up selling them and actually made a decent profit because of how things escalated in real estate from 2020 to 2022. And so I think less than two years later, we sold them for, they each made about a $75,000 profit. Not too shabby, Dan. You know, you learned a lesson and made some money, but yeah, no. Yeah. Interesting. No cash flow. We made zero in cash flow, but a lot in appreciation in a year and a half, two years. Fair enough. Good to learn a lesson while making some money, but yeah, the cash flow would have been nice. Well, 
My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Set goals. Setting goals not only holds you accountable, it can be motivation, especially when you plug in rewards. That's a hack. Plug in some rewards for yourself when you accomplish those goals. It can be very, very motivating. Awesome. Well, Savannah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. And I'm sure you have so much more ahead of you, but congratulations on your success so far. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yes, I absolutely love chatting real estate, if you can't tell. So you can catch me on all social media accounts um, under The Net Worth Nurse. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and yes, even TikTok. I love chatting. And my website is www.networthnurse.co. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I really appreciate that, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher on Apple Podcasts. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.